been on my it's been on my favorites for a long time. So so this uh, let's just start with it. it says understanding establishing an understanding of reality. So being and non-being, appearance and emptiness, the moving and the abiding, the substantial and insubstantial, embracing the whole of time and space, never departs from the sky-like original nature. In referring to ultimate reality as the sky-like original nature, understand that to be sky-like is to have no intrinsic nature at all. It is completely beyond objectification and beyond all concepts such as is or is not, both is or is not, or something other that is or is not. Between sky, mind, and ultimate reality, no distinction should be made. All these terms should be taken as mere designations and concepts. Everything is one's own mind. I like to just say this. Everything is one's own mind. Everything is one's own mind. Not so much as an atom exists outside of mind. Whoever realizes that from the very beginning, there has been nothing other than mind, has acquired the realization of all the Buddhas of the three times. What is shown as the source of phenomena is not a worldly phenomena itself. Rather, from the very beginning, it is the original innate. That original nature cannot be pointed out, it is inexpressible, and it cannot be comprehended in a dualistic manner. If there, so most of us are in a state of dualism here because there's a sense of me as the subject and then everything that I want to know becomes an object to me as the knower. You can't know this that way. You can't proceed or approach what's unapproachable. You can't grok or understand or embrace that with a dualistic mechanism, which is how our mind is. Yeah. It's because this has been thrust into the being the subject, and then everything else is thrust into being an object. So the truth and original mind becomes an object to you, because you cannot be a you unless it's different than original mind. So, what is shown as the source of phenomena is not a... a, a, a. If there is an owner, then there is something that can be owned. But if from the beginning there never has been a self, then what owned there can be. If mind has something objective that one could own, then it would be an actual objective thing. But since mind is not an objective thing, who, who is it that can claim ownership of it? Yeah. Mind and mental content are not external objects of perception, nor can one suppose there to be a person who is capable of seeing or owning mind. Non-existent throughout the three times, neither arising nor ceasing to be, the natural state of great bliss never undergoes any changes ever. Thus know that the whole of appearance is the absolute being. All sentient beings are the Buddha. All cosmic arisings and events are from the beginning, not other than the absolute source. For this reason, everything that one can identify conceptually is as unreal as are the horns on a rabbit. So I'll just give you an understanding how beings are led astray. Alas, even though the rays of the sun, when unobscured by clouds, shed light everywhere, nevertheless for the blind there is only darkness. The uncontrived innate is omnipresent, yet for the deluded it seems so far away. 
because beings do not recognize that mind is not a separate entity. They obscure mind's own original nature by becoming caught up in discursive and conceptual apperception. Thus, like someone who becomes mad due to possession by a demon, <laughs> those possessed by the great demon of substantiality suffer helplessly and to no purpose at all. Believing in the reality of discrete phenomena, these lost souls become bound by the limited views of mentation wherein they are caught. They are said to lock the master in the house and go out seeking him elsewhere. <laughs> in other words, they believe their own projections are real. They should cut the very root, but instead are caught in the trimming, the branches, and leaves. Whatever they do, they cannot see that they are being deceived. Yeah. Pretty succinct, eh? <laughs> So, <laughs> here we are, seemingly. So, I like to go over that little thing. I like been, I've been on this kick about space lately, yeah? So let's say this chair, once again, has been here 50 years. Many important asses have sat on this chair. Many things have been discussed from this chair. Incredibly meaningful statements have issued from this chair. Yeah. Okay, there it is. There's the chair. Yeah, it seems real and solid, doesn't it? This chair. All right, now I'm going to take it away. Let's keep looking at the chair. Did I have to move some space in that the chair was taking up? Did you see me like a great magician? I did it so fast you didn't see me. Did I have to go to like the closet, get some space, and all right, get it that shape, and all right, now it's, yeah. Can you see any, any remnants of the chair? The only place you would see an effect of that chair is on another appearance, like the rug. Or if it was scoffed up to another appearance like this. But in space, it doesn't leave any mark, yeah? There's no history about it in the space. It's as if it never appeared. So in a sense, is, is that a real chair? Not to the space system. It hasn't left any effect on the space. Yeah. For something to be real, it would have to have an effect. That's one of its major things. We believe we have a life and we can really fuck it up, so that gives us a sense of being someone. Yeah? So there's that space. Didn't move any in. Didn't take any out to put the chair in. The space is doesn't leave any scar of the chair. There's no memory of the chair. It's as if it never happened. Yeah? So here we are. Let's say we're just an appearance in space. Paul. And let's say I go back to Rockville Center where I grew up and I go to the place where I committed my most heinous act in my life. I bet you you wouldn't see it in that space. <laughs> it would be as if anything that I made so important about me has had no effect on the space. Yeah? It may have had effect on other appearances, but not on the space itself. So in a way, what I feel this is indicating or pointing to is the spaciousness, the skylight nature of our mind, which is, it's not an object. Yeah? It's space. Just like with when a plane flies through the sky, it very rarely calls down to the 
you know, the uh, terminal and goes, hey, I ran into some sky up here. It just moves right through it, yeah? Everything can appear in that sky-like space, but it doesn't really affect the sky-like space, does it? You can have those 4th of July explosions. It doesn't rip the space open or the sky open. Clouds can appear in it. Rainy clouds, other different kinds of clouds, all different kinds of clouds. It doesn't say no to one cloud and say yes to another. Everything appears and then disappears. Yeah? And yet that space is there. So that space is like the context of mind. And the appearances that we take to be real are the content of mind. The mind is appearing here as a content held by its contextual nature, in a sense. And it's a damn nice thing if you, as being such a solid and real, long-lasting, independent, separate entity, can entertain a more space-like, space-like nature. It may allow you to travel lighter here in this place. To realize that your footprint isn't that large, actually. <laughs> it's like our lives are like on an Etch-a-Sketch. You ever see that? If you just shake it up, it's gone. You know? But it had so much meaning to me. So here's that space. The space, sky-like mind, and then there's appearance in it. Or you can use the example of an ocean, yeah? And then there's waves. So let's say a wave, obviously because of, its, of believing it's a wave, will see... Other aspects of ocean as what? Waves. If it would see the ocean as ocean, it would contradict its belief it's a wave. So it has to have a certain denial of its essence or nature, which is ocean, to be a wave. So an appearance has to have a denial of the space for it to continue to believe it's an appearance. Because it's the mind, which is spacious, believing it's a solid appearance. That mind, if it entertained I'm not this, it would be entertaining I'm not this as its own nature. Yes? So this, while the mind is identified as this, it doesn't really find much value in entertaining space because that would deny its importance. So we call self-importance or self-centeredness. All of this is just like space getting coagulated into a form called this so that the mind can obsess over it for 50, 80, 90 years. <laughs> yeah. And then it goes to the mind, of course. What does mind become? Space? No, it is space. It doesn't become anything. It never became this. It appears to be this. Only to a mind identified with the appearance. Yeah? So a wave sees the ocean as another wave. If the ocean is huge, maybe it'll give it a word name of a tsunami. But it will never just recognize ocean because it's seeing it from wave eyes. Yeah? So everything has to be the form of an ocean that's like a wave. Yeah? And so in a sense, this wave can act as if it's dry and its main Suffering is the lack of wetness, and yet it's totally wet as ocean. But it's but why it, what it's ident, what it's entertaining itself to be can be separate, alone, lacking peace and serenity, never being loved or never loving. And a huge story can be written here in this realm of separation. And you better believe the mind can, because the mind is anything and everything. And one quality definitely has it can entertain. Yeah? So if you give it the idea of what separation could be like, wham, it'll entertain it. What it is, it's doing it with you. 
That's what, this is what it's doing. It's entertaining that idea as you <laughs> in here. <laughs> so the wave will never know the ocean as a wave. It's just questioning its waveness is, I think, a good idea. Because if it's not a wave, ergo, it's ocean. Because wave is ocean. (laughs) It's like that bubble hanging over the surface of the ocean. Pines away for the ocean, wants to know the ocean, longs for the ocean, but it's doing it as a bubble. If the bubble gets popped, it's done. It's ocean. But right now, it believes it's not ocean, so it's longing for it. And the ocean to us in this place of ignorance appears a lot of different ways. Fairy princess, money, you know, da 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 We're trying to find, we're looking for what's actually looking, but we're looking for it in an ignorant way. We only believe we'll find it as a something, not as that nothingness of space. We believe it has to be a something here, because we're a something, seemingly. So I found the idea of saying, oh, all right, so this is the nice thing. All right, let's all entertain space. Or let's say all of us entertain ocean. But that's not the dilemma. The dilemma is you're entertaining ocean as a wave. So for me, my act of inviting is to point out, you know, you're not a wave. I don't care about the ocean because you are that ocean. I don't want to have descriptive, incredibly beautiful descriptions of the ocean. You'll know that by knowing you're the ocean. By what? Giving up the identification as a wave. I don't want to go, oh, as a wave, really want and long for the ocean. That's just more suffering. Yeah? I want to say, hey, check it out. Are you a wave or not? If you're not, at that moment, the mind entertains it's not that. It's entertaining that this. Yeah? When the mind is entertaining, it's not the wave. When the ocean is entertaining, it's not the ocean. That's the act of being ocean. Yeah? It doesn't have to do any more than that. It's already so. All it has to do is recognize, I'm not that. And then what's always been so becomes obviously exactly what it's been. Always so. There's no more. You don't have to... All right, now, now as the ocean, I'm going to know the ocean better. You can't know it any better than being it. I'm how, how, you can't know it any better than being it. Being it is probably the highest form of knowing anything. Being it. Yeah. <laughs> That's the dilemma. We're trying to know it like a topic or like, or like some strategy to get an advantage as the way. But the, it'll frustrate the wave to try to get an advantage of knowing the ocean. It's the real freedom is when it realizes it's not a wave. That's the real freedom. Because now it's being cleanly and clearly that which it is. You know, as best it can here. This is a translation, obviously. This place. This is an interpretation. Mind is dreaming this place, in a sense. Yeah. It's just, we're appearances of mind entertaining So, in recovery, we suffered quite a lot. That's the most unbelievable thing. My feeling now, it isn't the thoughts that have caused us to suffer. It isn't the stories about what's happening that caused us to suffer. It's really about the incredible power of what's entertaining that. Because 
What's entertaining you can take the lousiest little thing. It's like that Seinfeld show when they decided, we're going to do a show on nothing. And actually, that's what Seinfeld was for years. Yeah? A show on nothing. This is exactly like that. This is like, there's nothing there, but the, what's entertaining it is so incredible, it can make it deliciously juicy for your head, the suffering, yeah? I mean, really, it seems as real as real can be, doesn't it, when you're in it? Woo! And it's usually incredible how it does it, because it's, there's no rhyme or reason, because let's say you're with someone or something, and you're sort of, you like it, but not you're not giving it much attention, and then, and the, you know, maybe a year or two you're with that, and then they leave, they finally get the good sense to split, and then your mind starts entertaining, the source of my happiness has left me, and I'll never have any recourse ever to meet it again. I mean, that's exquisite suffering. Isn't it? I've had someone who's just going to kill themselves and say that on a phone to me. Benignly neglecting the person that he was talking about, but when they finally left, it dawned on him, which it wasn't, it's a story, and the mind presented, that source of my happiness has left, and I'm never going to have a chance ever to have a source of happiness again. Now, if you believe that, yeah. And that thing that believed it has the ability to entertain to the extent that it contained, you're going to be in fucking hell. In a mental hell. You are. It's going to be freaking juicy. Yeah. Not because of the advertising. It's just old, old, old. It's playing on an old idea that you were unlovable like since you were seven or something. Someone didn't say hello to you the first big grade in school. And the mind's just riffing on it. It's not that. Those, they're bogus and advertisements, but what entertains it is not bogus. Yeah? It's like giving John Coltrane a little note and saying, riff on this, John. And it denotes separation. All right. He's going on like a big, you know, love supreme. It's like suffering exquisite. He's putting out a two-album set. I mean, Jesus Christ. You always want what you don't have. Isn't that a funny you don't, have, you don't really want what you have often. You want what you don't have. Don't you see the juiciness of that? What would wanting what you don't have produce? Suffering, wouldn't it? <laughs> I mean, it's done it with me. Then I pine away, and then tons of stories about what it would be like if I finally got it. When I get it, I don't care that much. Move on to the next thing to hope for. So the wave, I don't care how much it wants to know the ocean, because it's the idea of the wave, it's prohibited. It won't work. That's that dualistic manner. You can't know pure subjectivity as a pseudo-subject. It's not going to happen. You are not the long-lasting independent separate entity. You are not the doer of your life. You're not the haver of your life. You're not the owner of your life. Yeah, You're an object that subjectivity is moving through. But the object's taking it upon itself to say, I'm the subject, which throws subjectivity into the realm of being an object. And an object can be looked for or not. That's amazing that the mind can put everywhere and put it into a form or a concept where it can hide it. <laughs> I don't need, I can, I can live a whole life never bumping into everywhere in this mental realm. But in fact, all there is is that everywhere. But when... This sense of subjectivity becomes identified with the object it's moving through, and this becomes a subject, 
this subject will make that subjectivity into an object. And that media wants to explore or maybe not. So your inherent nature gets <laughs> put over here and like, I can just live a whole life not looking at that. You know? And then maybe one day you'll go, oh, I think it's time for me to know God now. Give me a fucking break. <laughs> You've been playing God all day for the last 30 years. Now you're going to go, I think i got to know God. That's another form of playing God. If you're identified as that, you're playing God the whole time. And now, oh, I think I'll play, play God about God. I've got to find a path, obviously, because I'm not there, I know that. I've got to find someone who's really done well with the path. Uh, I don't know about religions, they look a little slow. I've got to find a little speed up. Uh, and basically, if, I arrive, if I'm going to arrive there, it will be based on what I do or don't do. That will lock my godliness in there. And basically, I'll be playing God around God, obviously. Yeah. Isn't that what the realm does, the mental head does? It's telling you how close and far you are to the truth every day, isn't it? It's telling you if you've been good or bad. It's like playing Santa Claus. Have you been good or bad? It's writing down its little list. Yes, you're being punished all day by your head for doing something bad or you had a bad thought. You share it, you know. Jesus Christ. Thoughts are thoughts. They're just moving through like a bird flying by a window. You're the one that gives all that plumage, all the color it has. Your mind gives all the thoughts the meaning they deliver to you. The thoughts aren't bringing you anything. They're just like conceptual boxes, right, that they symbolize something, and your head downloads just from conditional, conditional information, downloads from that conditional pool into the thought, and you actually believe the thought's doing it to you. When it's totally the other direction. And that's why, is there any relief for thought? Do you have any immunity to thought? The immunity to thought is just that seeing his thought, not as yours. If you see him as your thoughts, you won't have any immunity to them. You won't. They'll seem real to you. And as soon as you go, yeah, that's like the hook, and then you become the historical fish. Paul long-lasting, independent, separate entity, and totally conceptualized, totally conceptualized. You think you're in a body, you're just living a mental realm of a body. You know, you can work out 12 hours a day, look at your body all day, but really what you're seeing is a mental concept. You know, I don't think you've ever seen the body. So what... A, that was the dilemma for me. I heard the truth. People talked about it. I had an inkling to go towards it. I had a sense. I wanted it. I felt pretty, like, drawn to it. But how I wanted it, how I was drawn to it, and what was interpreting the sense of it was the selfing, which defeated me right from the get-go. Because I can never know the truth. It's impossible. I do not have spiritual experiences. You can't experience spirit. That's what your nature is. You can have all your experiences from spirit and be aware of that. Yeah. But you can't have a spiritual experience. Maybe someone else will say you can. I don't believe that. I'm just sharing my own. But it's not even mine. Just sitting here getting downloads. Sharing. 
stuff. But this is how it's being seen today, yeah? Right at this moment. So, the idea of knowing that, no matter how noble it may be, isn't what, and because the path seems arduous or treacherous, isn't why you fail. It's that there's a you on the path. That's my view. I, that's what I happened to me. I was practicing a lot of stuff. I don't want to talk about it badly, but I practiced a lot of stuff for years. And uh, after about ten years of it, it was like a point of exhaustion in a sense. So I hit the wall and I just said, "Jesus Christ, you know, nothing radically has shifted." <laughs> you know, we had hundreds of spiritual experiences, incredible phenomena, but really nothing changed, in a sense. And, you know, the first few years when that information was coming in, of course the selfing would just beat itself up with that, another way of being obsessed with itself. It's only because it's you that's practicing this path, why it's not working. The path is perfect, everyone knows, it may not be, it may be, but you always turn it on you at the end. And then somehow something occurred. I entertained something, and that exhaustion became like just everything just dropped, you know? A level of relaxation I never had as a self occurred. And uh, all these things unconsciously that had all these different distributions of meaning got reshuffled. Something started to happen. And I started to see anew, like they say. You know, and my ears were able to hear, and I was seeing anew, and then the mind entertained that it was not that which had captured all its ability to entertain. See, that's the dilemma. When mind becomes identified with this product of the mental process, this idea of being a self, all of its qualities get subjugated to the identification. So let's say the mind can entertain the word serenity and comprehend peace and know joy and love and all like that. It has that ability very easily. But when it's subjugated to the identification as a self, then everything it entertains has to be entertained as a self. And the rules and the laws and the conditioning and the conceptual framework of self-centeredness, that very limited interpretive thought system, defines how you can entertain. So now, when you entertain peace, you entertain peace as an experience that you're going to have. That's not peace, in my view. You entertain love as something that one day, if you practice a lot or you meet some certain person, that will be it. But you are that love right now. The innate nature of that mind is expressing what we call love here. It's, of course it comes from mind, if all there is is mind. Yeah. You are that. Inherently, that's entertaining. Love is entertaining itself. But when it becomes identified as a self, it can only entertain an idea of love. It has to become an object to you now as a subject. And that neuters love. Makes it up, gives it different meanings now. Now it's this between one person and another, or this and that. All these different takes on it. But in fact, the whole point is your ability to entertain is now constantly entertaining, but it's entertaining everything with the hat of self on it, yeah? And its main prerogative is to entertain the selfing. 
And that selfing, to seem real, has to be reinforced every day. And so the daily narrative of the thought system is the trance-setter. And the mind is entertaining that. And so the idea or sense of being a you is reinforced. With many, many gaps, but it has a very good way of covering them up. Like if a miracle happens at 9 in the morning, you probably forget about it by 11. But you will hold on to a resentment for 30 years. You'll hold on to some grudge. It probably never even happened, but you'll hold on to it as if it's real. In other words, you'll be worshipping at that altar. Your mind will forget about the miracle, but the grudge. Yeah? So, the point is, is, it's not that we don't have any ability to entertain. Look at the aspect of what we call faith here. Yeah? People have a lot of ideas of faith. But I'm saying that everyone in this room, as mind, has tons of faith. Yeah? The whole thing here, this is a place of appearance. Yes? So faith is going to express whatever it expresses by what what its vehicle is here. So let's say I have faith in the thoughts that are going on in my head. It's going to produce hell. Literally. I'm going to produce suffering that's not even happening by thinking about what could happen to me later. Yeah? And it will seem as real as real can be. My mind will travel in a mental realm called the future and then speculate all the terrible things that could possibly happen to it and then download that into this only moment now, which is all there is, and t- as anxiety. You call it fear, but it's not fear. It's mental anxiety. It's a product produced by the mental process. It is not a reaction to a, a situation that's threatening you. There is no next Friday yet. It's not happening. So if you, fear would be reacting to something that was threatening you, that sort of was happening. Anxiety makes it up. That's what it does. So now, here's the mind, subjugated to this idea of self. It can do a greater miracle than supposedly Jesus did. Because Jesus brought back Lazarus from the dead. But at least Lazarus had been alive once. You and I are bringing anxiety from a place called what's not happening and bringing it and bringing it into life by entertaining it now. It's mind-fucking, by the way. Yes? I mean, it's not happening. You may have cancer next Friday, but right now it's not happening. You know? You may be destitute in a year, but right now it's not happening. But your mind entertaining, this is the ability to entertain, that mind subjugated to the idea of being a self, when it entertains the self's realm as real, which is past and future, it can produce anxiety out of nothing. You can't, you can't fly that next Friday. There's no airport there. You can't, make a, you can't get a ticket for it, and I'd like to see you bring it here. Well, come on, let's go. If it's so fucking important to you, let's go, bring it, let's see it. Can I feel it, taste it, touch it? No, you think. You bring it up. Your mind conjures it up. Not with its own power, but with the mind, the real mind's power, being identified and subjugated to this little mental process called selfing. The mental process is making this place up the way it looks. Mind going through this magnifying glass of I, me, my incredible self-centeredness. It's like that light is unbelievable when it's diffused, but when it's magnified, it'll kill you. It's driving your little head fucking crazy. It's just too much juice. 
You go home and then it represents the day to you how many fucking times? I had it once. One of my first examples. I was 11 years old. I swear. I, I use it in my story. I was walking through the hallway at school. Just walking around. And a girl said hello to me. You know, of course, the hormones were starting to kick in. You know, I'm a man, boy, you know, and girls were looking pretty good. And so she said hello to me. And I actually went home and wondered what she meant by it for five hours. <laughs> My mind represented that little event yeah, hundreds of times and gave it difference of different meanings and looked at it from a different point of view. And yet not one of those point of views escaped self-centeredness. The way I was looking, I can only entertain it through self-centeredness. There is no other way I can see here other than self-centeredness. I'm not just saying visually, I mean see. When sometimes you think to see, yes. You sit, you sit still to see. There's a sense of seeing. All of that seeing, which is, is in a little box called self-centeredness. So how many ways did I, could I see what that girl meant? Every one of them pertained to me. <laughs> so, I'm sure she didn't mean anything. She was saying to be nice and walk by. But to me, hundreds of different meanings I got gathered and then I thought of it. And yet all of them were products of the one small system called selfie. Yes. Imagine your whole life being interpreted from that little box. Yes, you are imagining it. <laughs> this is the product of it right now. Being concerned about what's not happening, having rewritten history about what we thought has happened, and yet have absolutely no clue of what it's like to be present. Because what we're entertaining to be present as isn't present. This is all past. <laughs> the solution? There isn't one. That's the good news. There's no solution to you. It's like the soup Nazi inside God. No soup for you today. There's no solution. You just realize maybe entertain you're not that. And then all of this is what you are. You don't have to entertain it. It's so. Yeah. It'll leak in. Maybe it won't rush all in because it would blow you up. Maybe it'd disappear you. It would be like a true rapture. <laughs> You'd be enraptured or ruptured. Or your body would explode and then entrails would go everywhere. Who knows? But, you know, it'll download and then your life hopefully usually starts getting, you know, you travel lighter. Like the Course of Miracles will say, you know, you're going to dream yourself out of the dream. And while you're doing it, the dream will get happier. That's been my experience the last, I don't know how many years. So that skylight nature, skylight nature. In a way, Jesus also said, you know, I don't know really what he said, but this is what they've written down. So. <laughs> but this part, he says, uh, you're in this world, but you're not of this world. That's a rare, I really like that statement. So you're in this world. So when you're a dreamed object, the dream other objects are going to seem real to you. Obviously, okay? So if this dream object sees a snake, a tiger, it's going to be scared shit of that tiger. Yeah? Because tigers can kill it. And now if it reads books about how to get sort of calm around the presence of a big tiger, probably won't work. Yes? <laughs> you know, isn't that, there's going to be an anxiety because that tiger is a, an 
what's the solution? You can't get out of it, you're in the same area. The solution, in a sense, is you wake up from the dream and you realize you're not the dreamed object of this. And then that dream object as that won't scare you. Because the only thing it's scaring is the dream object. Yeah? What's enlivening that fear and scare is the mind identified as the dream object. It's what's giving it so much juice. This illusion couldn't be so good unless the mind was entertaining. <laughs> you couldn't have, you couldn't have produced this. Yeah, you'd be too busy, you know, whatever. So mind, the ability to entertain its own nature as love and all this, is now entertaining its nature as this. It's vulnerable, can be attacked, may not get what it wants, this and that, that and this. And uh, all this interest and attention is focused on this. Yeah. It's just way too much, too much light for you. Considering it's dreaming. 
So contact as that can really affect this, because that is dreaming this. This can affect that, because this is a dreamt object of that. <laughs> this isn't doing, isn't affecting anything. It's like the chair moving out of the space. Yeah. I just looked because I come from recovery. They explained to me the movement of the problem, which was self-obsession. That was a verb of the problem. And I had gotten seemingly my ass royally kicked. And I thank God I had the ability to be convinced. Some, I didn't die before that ability kicked in. I was still alive, but I was still going off, just getting loaded every day. And it was just a regular day at the office, but something happened. It was like, we, they call a moment of clarity. Something stopped. The selfing, because it's a verb, it can be startled into stopping. Something stopped that verbing. And for about five minutes, my, the muscles of denial, like, they were like Arnie Schwarzenegger's, just collapsed, and the whole situation fell on me. And it was at bottom. To be a bottom isn't something that you're observing. You're totally in it. There's no... So the whole thing collapsed on me, and I realized I'm fucked. Yeah? Now, I have been fucked for quite a while, but it was news to me, truly. Because that whole mental idea was to keep that out. You know? It was always there. It was always lingering around, causing tons of anxiety and that, but I never wanted to really confront that. So, well, I'm fucked. And, that, and then, in that five minutes, I was drinking Royal Gate Vodka, this guy I didn't know in a trailer park, in a trailer. I didn't have another drink, and I went out to the phone booth, and I called a place I'd just gotten out of 10 months before, a two-year program called Delancey Street in San Francisco. And I called them to see if they would take me back, and they said no. Yeah. They had been getting my newsletter, I think, for the last 10 months, and they knew I'd been getting loaded and everything. And I had some honesty that come through this little portal, and I said, I don't have a month. You know? They said, come back in a month and we'll interview you again. doesn't mean you'll get in, but we'll, in we'll interview you. And then what happened is that portal seemed to have closed, and I wanted to get loaded again. But what occurred was life conspired against that from happening. And a woman made a deal with me, which was, do you want a place to stay tonight? And I did. I was up in Calistoga. I talked her into driving up there. And she said, well, if you want a place to stay tonight, you've got to go to a meeting of recovery. So I said, all right, sure. You know, an hour? I, I fucking prostituted myself for years. I can do it one more time. All right, I'll go. And I went, and from that point on, I've been clean and sober 22 years. Yeah. So that one little portal, though it wasn't open for long, a little bit of info came down that has changed this whole object's life for the last 22 years. Can you imagine if your attention turned towards that? Not as this, but turns toward that, as that. Turn towards that, as that, not as this. Yeah? Because when I start looking at it, I make it an object. When I realize it's all there is is looking, all there is is that seeing, that's really seeing it. Yeah? But can you imagine if you just gave it a little attention what it can do here in this dream world? Five-minute portal changed my whole life. And I, I was not thinking of getting high, sober. 
It was just a regular day at the office. I was just trying to survive, so I got a shot that night, get some drugs. Yeah? But something intervened, my whole life changed. Can you imagine if you entertain that? As that, instead of entertaining it as this, and going, get in your parking space next week. Let me meet a girl. <laughs> I mean, geez, you want that? <laughs> and then what I needed really to hear was this message, because I was trying really hard to know that, but as that. And all the, all the failures and all the defeats, even though there was a lot, a lot of good experiences, but the basic defeat was, was interpreted in many, many different ways by my self-centeredness, all just to sort of rationalize the absence of that. Yeah. But I wanted that as this. And then I heard this message that you're not this, and that's that. <laughs> then... That intention, or whatever you want to call it, or I don't know what you want to call it, unbridled by the selfing, unbridled by that system, it could entertain clearly and cleanly. It just needed to get out of, out, out of the yoke of selfing, because its ability to entertain is there. It was just entertaining as a self, which was causing its defeat in a way. Because you can't entertain your own nature as a false nature. It's not going to work. Obviously, the false nature needs to be questioned or seen through, and that's your real nature. Boom, like that. And then, you know, to me, the desire to be liberated, bye bye, I can care less. I'm going to some place soon. Yeah, I don't want to go there because they may hear this. Whatever. You know, I've seen, I've heard people that have been enlightened three times this life. I thought one would be enough, you know. It's like one, two, three times. I don't find any... Someone once said to me, wouldn't you want to swim the depths of the ocean of that space? This is the depths of the ocean, just as it is right now. This is swimming in the depths of the ocean. Oh, it looks so ordinary. To who? To who, to who claims and defines this as ordinary? This thing that desires to be special. Yeah. Major modus operandi is to be special be it suffering or whatever way it can, it just wants to be special. Of course it's going to call what's always so, as always so, ordinary. It can't, because it can't make it an ornament, yeah? It's not going to make a metal out of it and put on it. It can't add little epaulets on here, or you know, stripes, you know, or a black belt or a purple belt. It's, there's none of that. <laughs> it's just like traveling later. You may never be noticed for it, ever. I would never be noticed for anything unless, but I have a seat assignment, which is to invite people at this moment. That's the only reason why. Everyone thinks I'm insane. <laughs> They've got me so classified and categorized, I've been neutered. They won't hear anything from me. Oh, that's no self-Paul. <laughs> There's a self-called Paul, no self-called. Yeah. So. Any questions tonight? No? That's just from that? 
that I read, probably the past Buddha, future Buddha, and present Buddha. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, but I could be wrong, you know, I'm not a, into it. When I'm dreaming, what's happening? When I'm dreaming. Your mind's doing just what it's doing like it is now. Yeah. yeah. Very similar. It's just as, see, but, see, there, you're all the dream objects. Yeah? Whatever you're dreaming in a dream, it's you, basically. That's what they say. But here, you're thinking you're just this one. And this one seems to have more time, doesn't it? More duration, I think that's more. That's what convinces. But they say, let's say, there's the, there's the, there's the, there's the, uh, the dream, the sleep dream, and then there's the awake dream, which this would be, and then there's awakening to the dream, which is another. I don't believe in any of that. It's just what's... There's just mine, yeah? Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, it's more because I've had some weird looking dreams, and this past, uh, I was lucid dreaming, so I kept waking up and I was laughing, but it's just like things from my past, and I just kept uh, waking up, so I woke up laughing, and so like everything, like, I was with a friend in the morning, and I was just like laughing, and I was like, was everything just like, it was just like my dream, in a way, but, um, it is. That's nice. Yeah. Lucid dreaming is cool. Because that you can see, you know, you're awake in the dream. Yeah. You can say no, actually, in the dream. You can just say, not for this, you know. Because a lot of my dreams had a pattern when I was young, like very fearful, like a, like a, like a vague paranoia. Yeah. That something was out to get me. <laughs> <laughs> It's valuable to you, then it's valuable. Yeah. You know, I don't. Uh, I don't like to say anything in concrete in a way. Mm-hmm. I try to it because uh, you know, if if this this is meant to meditate, then it will meditate. If it doesn't, it doesn't. If it's met, if it was meant to meditate, then it realizes it doesn't. That it's being meditated, then there's no need to meditate anymore. That's that. I don't know if you can put anything as a rope or a concrete thing to do or not do. I would just sense what believes it's doing it and see if that's true. I think that's what gives everything the meaning it has, not the thing you're doing, but who's doing it. And I'd like to rather go that way, so that. Like my day, I, you know, I behave myself. You know what I mean? I do. I live a pretty, like, good life in a sense. Don't treat people well and this and that and that and this. Yeah. I, like, I like the simple life in a sense. I've been trying to do these t-shirts, yeah? Jeez. <laughs> I got engaged. I was at Best Buy five times in two days. I'm going to show you this. I got so 
because see, this is the shirt. Uh, yeah, I got engaged so much, and 